Wanted to mention uh, real quickly, the, the Thrive Bank was coming up September 30th. Is that the right date, Diane? Diane Vaughn. You there? September 30th, is that the right date? Okay, thank you. She doesn't listen to me when I preach, so. <clears throat> it's that spouse thing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I wanted to mention that so you can get it on your calendar because it fills up quickly and it's hard to get tickets at the last minute. So uh, open your Bibles and we're going to go back to Zechariah. If you want to find Zechariah, go backwards from Matthew. Okay? You all know where Matthew is. You can find that. Then Malachi, then Zechariah. So you go backwards. I've spoken on this passage a couple times, and, and today I want to really, uh, instead of expounding it, which we've kind of done, we've really already done that, we're going to talk about the application of the uh, teaching here in the passage. Are you all there? Yep. See, in the old days, you could hear everybody's, you know, all the leaves rustling. So when that noise stopped, oh, everybody's there. But see, now, I can't hear that. <laughs> Did I get a, a, a page noise that maybe goes on there? Help the preacher? All right, where are we? Zechariah 4. Uh, we'll just read part of it. We're not going to, because we've already read through it twice in the, in the past a month. It says uh, in Zechariah 4, now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who's wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, the other on the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Amen? The, the, <clears throat> there's more to the passage, and we've, we've unpacked it a little bit. The, 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 the main symbol here in this passage is the lampstand. And the lampstand is described in such a way that it differed from the original lampstand that was in the tabernacle. And the difference was significant because what the difference pointed out is that God was going to give a greater supply of his Holy Spirit to his people so that they could accomplish the work God had called them to do. So they had come back from captivity. They were discouraged. They were downcast. The city was in ruins. The temple was in ruins. And God said, rebuild the temple. And many of them... Uh, as the text says, despised the day of small things, which means they said, eh, we'll never be able to, to make the temple like it used to be, so what's the point? And of course, there was external attacks to the work, as we read in, in, in Nehemiah and Ezra and other, and other passages. So God sends the prophet and, says, and gives them this image. And this is an image of a lampstand that has two trees, and they're olive trees. And what do olive trees produce? Oil, right? And what's the oil for? The lamp. So God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a, a constant supply of oil so the lampstand can keep on burning. 
I will have a constant supply of my Holy Spirit for you so that you can do the work that I have called you to do. That's what he's saying to his people. Now, what's striking is that if God is saying this to Israel in the Old Covenant, how much more do we have the fullness of the Spirit in the church age? Amen? When you, re- when you read Pentecost, the, the Spirit comes down, and, and uh, Joel is quote, the book of Joel is quoted, and, and it says that God will pour His Spirit in all of His, his manservants, maidservants, sons, daughters, young men, old men. In other words, there is a fullness of the Spirit now given to the church, which even exceeded the fullness of the Spirit that was given Israel at this time. So in other words, the message is not by human might, not by human power, but by God's Spirit, His work will be accomplished. To rephrase it, what God is saying to His people, and I believe He's saying it to us today, is that whatever I have called you to do, I will equip you through my Holy Spirit. Whatever I have called you to be, I will equip you through my Holy Spirit that I have given to you. Amen? Now here's the thing. It's not automatic. What do I mean by that? Well, if, if, if you're a true child of God, you have the Spirit in your soul, in your heart, if you will. The Spirit dwells within the believer. He said to the, the disciples before he, he was crucified and buried and ascended, he said um, that the Spirit will be with you and he will dwell in you. So the Spirit is in the true believer because the believe, once someone puts their faith in Christ, they're regenerated by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and He then dwells in their heart and He transforms them from the inside out. He, he, he reveals Jesus Christ to them. He teaches them the Word. He convicts them. He reproves them. He guides them. He has many different ministries in the heart of the believer, but He dwells in the believer's heart. That's good news, Amen. I mean, the Christian life, if you want to know what the Christian life is like apart from the Holy Spirit, read Romans chapter 7. And if you're familiar with Romans 7, the way the chapter ends is Paul is in despair. And he's saying, who will deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, I've tried and I've tried. The thing I don't want to do, I do. The thing I do want to do, I don't do. Back and forth, failure, failure, failure. Deliver me, deliver me. And then he says, but I thank my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in one chapter. 7 is the prelude to 8 because 7 is the preparation for 8. In other words, we never really get to the place where we totally depend on the Holy Spirit if we think we can do it in our own power. And that's why God, uh, as we like to say, brings you to the end of, the, of your rope. He lets you struggle. He lets you fail. And then you get to the place where you realize what the Bible's been telling us all along, that we can't do this. I can't be like Jesus. It's impossible. Unless Jesus lives in me. Right? But if Jesus lives in me, I can be like him. That's why Paul talks about Christ in him. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is Jesus in us. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was on the throne. Well, he is. But his spirit is in us. His Holy Spirit that has been, been given to his people that we might be and do all that we're called to be and do. But there are conditions. And what I mean by conditions is that we can do things contrary to the mind and work of the Spirit. We can actually be uh, living in such a way or operating in such a way that we're hindering what he's doing. So even though God has provided him so that we have success, we can still fail. So we need to learn, um, we need to take heed, if you will, to the exhortations in the New Testament about the Spirit. And there are five of them, and I'll review them quickly this morning. Each one could be a whole sermon, um, and maybe I'll come back to one or two at a later date. But let's just review them now. Now there's five of them, two are negative and three are positive. The two negative ones are, do not grieve the Spirit, and do not quench the Spirit. The three positive ones are, be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and Jesus said to ask for the Spirit. You got those? That's my outline. Two negative, two positive. What do you call a negative command? A prohibition. Very good. Smart people here. Prohibition. So two prohibitions. The first one is found in Ephesians 4. So let's turn there. Ephesians 4, uh, let's see, where do we want to start? Man, it's just all so good. In verse 17 he says, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Then he goes on and says, 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore putting away lying, let each, of one, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. <clears throat> let him who stole steal no more or no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve this Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he tells us here, first of all, not to grieve the Spirit. By the way, as a, as a, as a side note, uh, to, to say the Spirit can be grieved reminds us that the Spirit is not a force. The Spirit is not an energy. The Spirit is a person. Okay? Um, sometimes when people talk about the Holy Spirit, because we, we, we often hear the phrase, the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get this uh, idea that it's, the Holy Spirit is an it. And I've even heard sometimes people pray and, where they refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. It's a person. The Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, what we call emotions. It, it, it can be grieved and pained by how believers live. 
So here in this text, Paul is telling us not to cause the Holy Spirit sorrow. Well, how can we cause him sorrow? Well, basically, clearly from the context, before and after this verse, verse 30, he's talking about a whole catalog of, of, of different sins, right? He talks about lying, he talks about anger, talks about stealing, talks about corrupt communication, um, and then in 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, which we would probably call slander or gossip. Uh, then with all malice, in other words, all of these bad things, whether they're bad conduct or whether it's bad attitudes, because some of these are internal. You can be bitter, right? And that's an internal sin. Um, you can be angry, and if you're not expressing it through clamor, which really means like, you know, that kind of abusive talk that angry people do. Um, but you might be angry. You might be harboring unforgiveness and bitterness, and it may not be evident, um, or at least overtly uh, evident. So whether it's an external sin or in internal sins, these things grieve the Spirit of God in our life. I want to read a quote to you by uh, John Eady, who's a 19th century Scottish commentator. He's just really got some good stuff to say here. He says, If Christians shall persist in falsehood and deviation from the truth, if they shall indulge in fitful rage or cherish sullen and malignant dislikes, they used a lot of big words back then, if they shall be characterized by dishonesty or idle and corrupt language, then though they may not grieve man, they do grieve the Holy Spirit of God. For all of this perverse insubordination is an utter antagonism to the essence and operations of him who is the spirit of truth and inspires the love of it, meaning the love of truth. He says this, what can be more grieving to the Holy Spirit than our thwarting the very purpose for which he dwells within us? I want to read that again. What can be more grieving to the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost than the thwarting of the very purpose for which he dwells within us and contravening or, 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 or contradicting all of the promptings and suggestions with which he warns and instructs us. Since it's his special function to renew the heart, to train it to the abandonment of sin and to the cultivation of holiness, and since for this purpose he has enfleshed himself and dwells in us as a tender, watchful, and earnest guardian, is he not grieved with the rebellion so often manifested against him? What's the answer? Yes, he is grieved, right? So the point is that God has given us the, the Holy Spirit to make us holy. It's one of the reasons it's called the Holy Spirit. And in this text, in the, in the Greek, it, it refers to the Spirit. If, if, you, if you translated it literally, it would be the Spirit, the Holy One emphasizing his holiness, right? Given to us to make us holy. So it's not that believers never sin. We all sin, right? Anybody here sin this week? Come on, Dave, you can raise your hand. We'll still love you. Yeah, I mean, we all do. Somebody does something at work, you're angry, you know. 
you know, we, we, we sin. Uh, well, what do we do when we sin? What's the, the, the appropriate thing to do? Yeah. You acknowledge it before God, you confess it, and by his grace, you determine not to do it anymore, okay? It's not complicated. I'm not saying it's always easy, depending on the sin, but it's not complicated. So, um, but it, it's the indulging in, in various sins. Some of these things, especially sins of the heart, can be lodged there, and they can stay there a long time, and they can be painful to kind of weed out. You have unforgiveness, bitterness from very painful experiences. These things can be hard to get rid of, okay? Um, but the Spirit's working in us to remove these things from our life. And so we don't want to grieve him, so what we need to do is cooperate with him. As he works on our hearts and our lives, we need to just, uh, as we like to say, go with the flow. As he's working, don't resist his work. Let him do his work in your life. Um, A second prohibition is in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We're doing the negative ones first. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, if you want to turn there. Right before 2 Thessalonians. Let's see, starting in verse... We'll start in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen? So we're told in verse 19, amidst various exhortations, not to quench the spirit. So what's the difference between quenching the spirit and grieving the spirit? Grieving the spirit is, the the focus is more on the the personality of the spirit himself and the impact of our our conduct on him. Quenching the spirit has more to do with his operations, his activity, and his work. So to, to quench, or it could be translated to dampen or to extinguish, it's the idea of, of putting out a light or putting out a fire, um, whether it's by throwing water or throwing a blanket over it or something. Uh, the idea is that the Spirit is working in the church in various ways, prayer, it mentions prayer, prophecy, uh, giving of thanks, uh, mutual ministry to one another, and, and, he, and it says, uh, don't quench what the Spirit's doing. So, uh, it really has, quenching the Spirit has more to do with how we're interacting with other people primarily and what God is doing in their life and whether we're open to, to what God is doing through them that might be for our benefit. Let's say, for example, you hear a really good sermon 
Let's say you're, you're just at liberty one morning and I'm preaching and it's a really good sermon. Now let's say Mike's preaching and it's a really good sermon. I'll give Mike the glory. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. And you know he is because you, it's like right between your eyes. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Ever had those moments? Yeah. No. I've had people come up to me and say, man, what you said there, that was the Lord speaking to me. And I don't even remember saying it. It wasn't in my notes. It was a random aside comment. But they needed to hear that. And that was the Holy Spirit, you know, convicting or comforting or consult, you know, whatever they needed, that was the Holy Spirit. But it's possible to go to church and hear a sermon, but your attitude is like this. You know what I mean? You ain't getting in here, Holy Spirit. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. I ain't open today. Uh -uh. We've all done it. And one of the reasons I believe it's so important that, we're, that we all sit under the preaching of the Word is because if you just read your Bible on your own and, and don't sit under the preaching of the Word, you will avoid those passages you need to hear. You will. I do it too. We all do it. Who wants to be convicted, right? So we need to hear things sometimes that we don't want to hear because they make us uncomfortable. But of course, you know, God is, is doing that because God is changing us, and change can be uncomfortable, right? He's transforming us, and, and that can be, sometimes that can be a little painful. Uh, y'all, y'all know the story in Narnia? You read in the Narnia books? Yeah. Where Eustace, he was turned, was it Eustace turned into a dragon? Yeah. And remember when, when Aslan starts to strip off the scales? And, he, and he's like screaming in pain. And of course, that is Lewis. Uh, telling us what sanctification is like. <laughs> that at times, when God takes things out of your life, it's like, like, it's like a skin being torn off, but it's got to come off. Yep. Or you're going to stay a dragon. Well, we're not dragons. We're sheep. Amen? Amen. And so sometimes, when, when God you know, does a sanctifying work, you, know, you feel the claw. As is on the move. And that's a, good, that's a good pain. It's a good pain. Um, so we quench the Spirit when God is, is working, maybe through a sermon or through someone praying or someone sharing or whatever's happening, and we're, we're saying no. We're saying no in our, in our attitude um, to, to what God is doing. Really, sometimes right in front of us. <clears throat> I've been amazed at times... How people, two people can go to the same meeting and, and you talk to them after, after the meeting and they both are like, it's like they were in different countries. Yeah. I mean, really, it's like, wow. Some, you know, it's like, when, when we're together, the Holy Spirit is in our midst. Now, he's in our hearts individually, but he's also in the congregation corporately, right? And so he... he prompts people to, to, he prompts the body to minister to the body. And that's really what, what Thessalonians is the body. It's about the body ministering to the body and not dampening what the Holy Spirit is doing through various members of the body 
so that they can minister to the body. Now, let's look at the positive commands briefly. Ephesians 5.18, which in a way is kind of a, a positive version of, of the, Thessal the Thessalonians passage. Y'all there? Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, and do not, in verse uh, 18, 518, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So here we, we have an a exhortation, a, a positive, not a negative one, and we're, we're, uh, Paul is telling us to be filled with the Spirit. And the first thing we note is the corporate context of this. And I think he's, he's talking not just about the individual being filled, but the church being filled. Of course, they kind of go together. You know what I mean? So, you know, if, if, you, had a, if you had a church and everybody that walked in the door Sunday morning was filled with the Holy Spirit, that would, that would affect the fullness of the Spirit in the congregation, wouldn't it? Now, if, if you had a church where everybody that walked into the church on a Sunday morning was just, you know, like dog carnal, well, that's going to affect the fullness of the Spirit too, right? Now, I don't, I don't know about you, and I know you think that... that because I'm a preacher, I'm supposed to be perfect, but I'm not perfect. And there's days that I come to church and I don't even want to be here. And I'm a preacher. Because I can have bad days. I can have bad weeks. Um, I can be tired. I can be crabby. I can be in pain. Some, some Sunday morning I'm like, oh man, if I could only play hooky today. But it is amazing to me the difference <clears throat> in my heart, in mind and soul, after church than before church. Yeah. It is amazing to me. When we start to worship God and people start to pray, and I mean, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is present. Yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes we don't walk in all filled with the Spirit, but we should leave that way, yeah. Right? And so, yes, we should strive to come, uh, come to church eager to worship, eager to hear the word, eager to minister, eager to encourage, eager to pray, because we have the Holy Spirit. But sometimes that just isn't the case. But the Lord's present, and He's gracious, and He ministers to us through the worship and prayer and, and sharing and the, and the word and the body life, the mutual encouragement. And it's amazing how different you can feel after church than before because of God's presence through his Holy Spirit. It's a glorious thing. And so Paul is saying here, be filled, church. Be filled. Don't just accept a little bit in the cup. Fill the cup up. Well, how do we do that? He says, pray, sing, worship, give thanks. It's striking here and in Thessalonians, the exhortations here about thanksgiving and praise. You know what I'm saying? In everything. Give thanks in everything. That's, that's pretty broad, right? 
So we, there's kind of a, a circular thing here. I really wish I was good at PowerPoint because I have all kinds of cool PowerPoints in my head. You know what I mean? But I don't know how to get them so I can show them to you. But in any case, you know, th this is like a circle thing where as we, as we spend time in worship and thanksgiving and praise, I believe that we are open and we're, we're I don't want to say we're creating the environment because that's actually not true. The spirit creates the environment. Okay, We don't create anything. But we're, we're certainly putting ourselves in a position where we're more um, cooperative, if you will, and open to the spirit filling us and filling the congregation. But then as, we're, as the congregation is more filled, it's more inclined to be thankful and to praise and to worship, right? So you get the circle thing going where is this a cause or is this an effect? Is he saying be filled and the way to be filled is, is to worship? Or is he saying be filled and the evidence of the filling will be the praise and the worship? You get what I'm saying? There's no way to know from the text. And I think it's actually both because I think the one thing feeds on the other, right? That which we can do, we ought to do. I can give thanks, even when I'm not feeling thankful. I can choose to do that as an act of my will. I've told you the story many times, I won't repeat it, but in some, the story is, I made a list one day, years ago, of all the things I was unhappy about. Wrote them down on a card. I still carry cards. Cards are awesome. You should carry cards. And I wrote down on this list the fact that I was broke, that I didn't have a car, that my boss was mean to me, that, you know. And then I actually took the list out every day, and I thanked God out loud for these things. I thanked him for the things I wasn't thankful for. Now, you might think, well, that's hypocritical. No, it's not. Because the Bible never tells me to feel thankful. It tells me to be thankful. And so I can say, God, I don't understand. But because I know you and I know your word, I thank you that I don't have a car and I have to take a bus to work. Thank you for that. Lord, I don't understand why my boss always picks on me, makes me clean the toilet, Makes me take out all the trash. But I want to thank you for that because you, you're, you're working through that somehow, even if I don't see it. And I began to be thankful for things that I didn't feel thankful for. You know what happened? Those things began to change. And my attitude began to change. And my life began to change. Because I was in a hole. I was in a dark spiritual hole. I can be thankful. You can be thankful. The feelings will be supplied by the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work. You obey the word. If we obey the word, we're thankful, we praise him, we, we truly engage in worship and singing hymns and songs, psalms as the scripture tells us, then he will do his part and he will fill us. Amen? Next positive exhortation in Galatians 5.
We're almost done. Galatians 5. Paul says, where do we want to start here? I guess we'll just start in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Positive exhortation. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now let's look at the flesh here. He says, the, the, well, I'll just read. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, but the Spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the thing that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, my virgin has murder in there also, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when you look at that list, do you want any of those things in your life? Anybody want any of those? Yuck. Right. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, does anybody want to eat any of those? Raise your hand. I can't see you. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the, the lust of the flesh, but you will have the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe the catalog here that he gives us of, of the works of the flesh are intentionally bad. Intentionally bad. Why? Because he, he's saying, do you really want this in your life? Do you really want this kind of stuff in your life? No, of course not. So he shows us where the flesh leads and what it produces, but then he shows us what the Spirit produces. I don't know about you, but I want verse 22 in my life, right? So he tells us what we need to do. We need to walk in the Spirit. And walking here, uh, the word literally could be translated march, or to walk in file, walk in order. And it's a military term, and, it, and the idea is that someone's giving orders, and the soldiers follow the order as they march, right? Well, who's giving the orders in our life? Yeah, the Lord. But in this context, it's through the Spirit who's leading so as the Spirit leads, as He gives orders, as He guides, as He teaches, instructs, walk according to what He's telling you. Walk according to what He's teaching you. Um, <clears throat> and not contrary to that. So this is the idea of the Spirit guiding us and prompting us and teaching us. So we need to listen to what He's, he's teaching us through His Word, through a sermon, through exhortations and other things of that nature. So He guides us in our personal lives and as we listen and as we walk according to his guidance, it produces this good fruit. This good fruit. We cannot produce this. We can be nice people, you know, but we can never, never really produce what the Spirit produces because it's supernatural. The Christian life is a supernatural, miraculous life only produced through the power of God's Spirit. We can, we can have a facade of goodness, 
But when it comes to the, the purity of the heart, when it, when it comes to a deep love and joy and peace, when it, when it comes to being long-suffering toward those who mistreat you, when it comes to loving your enemies, I mean, that's a, Jesus tells us to do that. I mean, can we do that in our flesh? No. No way. Some of us can't even love our friends. <laughs> I mean, it's true. How are we going to love our enemies? How are we going to do this thing that's, that, that is miraculous? Well, because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And he empowers us. As the Lord said, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The impossible is possible through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I'm going to say it again. The impossible is possible through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. No matter what your mountain is, you can say to the mountain, be removed and it's removed. Meaning, is what Jesus really meant, is you can overcome any obstacle in your life. Because we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. It's a glorious, glorious truth. Amen? Last point, the last exhortation. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 11. Remember, the first two are negative, right? Do not grieve, do not quench. Then we looked at the positive. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And then here's the last one. In Luke 11. Jesus is teaching on prayer um, in, in verses 2 through 4. We have a, an abbreviated version of the Lord, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Then in verses 5 through 10, we have teaching on the importance of persistence. Okay? He tells a parable of the unjust judge, let's call her, the, or the, the persistent widow. And then in verses 11 through 13, he says this. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, now, now my, your version may not have some of these clauses because, well, anyway, I'm just going to read it. Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now stop there. Okay. So Jesus says, if, if, a, if a child asks a father for something that's good and needful, will the father give the opposite? What's the answer? No. no. That's just not what a normal father would do. Now, I understand some of you may not have had normal fathers, okay? Uh, there are abusive fathers. I understand that. Uh, there are abusive family situations. I grew up in one. But... The, Jesus, assuming a norm here, says that if a child asks for a good thing, God's disposition is to grant the good thing. Because God loves his children, amen? God wants to bless his children. He wants to give good things to his children. So then he says, okay, if that's the case, verse 13. If you then, being evil, meaning if, if a father who's fallen... Because we've all sinned, we're all part of the fall, right? 
If, if a father, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, some, some commentators will say, well, that, that because we're, we're Christians, we don't actually have to do this. Because once you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to ask for the Holy Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit. I actually think that that's like saying because a child asks for bread one day, he never needs bread anymore. Well, of course not. He needs a bread, then he needs an egg, then he needs pancakes. He's bacon, he needs eggs, right? You getting hungry yet? Right? Little steak sandwich, french fries. I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Christ. But don't we need to ask for the fullness of the Spirit? Don't we need to ask for the power of the Spirit? The wisdom of the Spirit? The guiding of the Spirit? Don't we need to ask that the fruit of the Spirit will be more abundant in our lives? Yes, of course. So, so... Just because we have the Spirit dwelling in us doesn't mean we don't ask God for the, the empowering and the guidance and, and that the, the, the Spirit's ministries would be evident in our lives and in our community. We need the Spirit of God. Amen? Any real spiritual enterprise... Not just a church activity, but a, an enterprise which is going to produce spiritual fruit, change in someone's life, whether it's a conversion of a lost person you're witnessing to, or whether it's, uh, it's growth in the life of believers you're ministering to. The only way that's going to happen is if the Holy Spirit is working. Because it's not... By human means, it's by divine means. It is God who saves the soul. Amen? It is God who enlightens the mind. It is God who transforms the heart. It is, it is God who does the, the supernatural work we call, we call conversion or, or the new birth, what we call sanctification. All of this is God's work in our life. And he does it through the person of his spirit. So we want to ask for His Spirit, amen? We want the Spirit to change us, amen? We want the Spirit to save our friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus, amen? We want the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. And Jesus says, that's a good thing. And my Father is a good Father. And a good Father gives good things to those who ask. So we just need to ask. We need to ask. I'm going to read a quote by Spurgeon, and then we're going to close. Part of this I've read before, but part I didn't. Spurgeon was, uh, if you don't know him, you should read about him, one of the, considered one of the greatest preachers and evangelists in uh, the history of the Western church, the European church. 
very powerful, successful ministry. Many converted, hundreds and hundred thousands, really, many thousands worldwide. And he, he wrote this. He said, um, "A Wesleyan minister lately said that he is, was never more surprised in his life." than when he dropped into the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was the name of his church, okay? So this Wesleyan pastor popped into his church one day and found the ground floor and part of the gallery filled at a prayer meeting. He believed that such a thing was almost without parallel in London and that it accounted for the success of the ministry. We concur in this impartial judgment. In other words, Spurgeon acknowledged that the success of his ministry was related to the fact that the church gathered to pray. He, and he says this, he says, Will not all the churches try the power of prayer? Try the power of prayer. And then he goes on and he says this, He says, how could we expect a blessing if we were too idle to ask for it? How could we look for a Pentecost if we never met with one accord in one place to wait upon the Lord? Brethren, we will never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. It is a sad fact that many churches no longer even have prayer meetings. And those that do, the prayer meeting is often the least attended meeting of all the meetings. It is true. And this explains a lot about the modern church. If we're too idle to ask, God won't give it. We need the Holy Spirit of God to revive his church in America. We need the Holy Spirit of God to revive this church in O'Fallon. We need the Holy Spirit of God to first change our hearts and our minds in a radical way so that we are surrendered to Jesus Christ and we will truly follow him wherever he may lead. That we will obey his word without equivocation. That we will submit to his spirit that we will begin to truly love the brethren and love the lost. That we need the Holy Spirit to see not only a revival in this church, but to see the conversion of the lost. We need the Holy Spirit of God to see this nation change before it is too late. And many think it already is too late. And I'm not a prophet. I don't know if it's too late. But I know this, unless the Spirit of God has his way in our churches and in our nation, we are undone. We are undone. All we have to do is ask. We've got to ask. We've got to pray. We've got to learn to be a praying people. And I can't tell you how many times and when we have a prayer meeting at church, that day is a terrible day for me. I cannot tell you the obstacles I encounter 
in my mind and heart, sometimes in my body, to get me not to go to a prayer meeting. Why? Because prayer is the source of power. And the devil knows this. We can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but if we don't pray and the Spirit of God is not doing His work in us and through us, then it is for naught. It is for naught. And the devil knows this. Jesus taught us that first you have to bind the strong man. Right? Bind the strong man. You do this through prayer. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And it's real. And so we must be a praying people. And I believe that if we will just, like little children, accept the teaching of Jesus, if we'll just say, okay, Jesus, you said this, you're saying your father's a good father, you're saying the Holy Spirit's a good gift, okay, I'm just going to ask. And I'm going to keep on asking. And I'm going to ask, ask, ask. And in childlike faith, if we will do that, I believe we will see the Spirit's work in our lives and in our community, in our church, and even in our community. Some of you carry sins you've been carrying for years and you can't get victory. And it's because the Holy Spirit is not having His way. You will never cut those chains yourself. You are not able. But the Spirit of God is able. Some of you carry the, the, the burden in your heart of, of, of friends or family members, maybe even, even people living in your home who don't know Jesus Christ. And no matter how much you may share with them, they're, they're not hearing you. They're not going to hear you apart from prayer. Unless the Holy Spirit illuminates their mind and converts them, they will never hear you. The things that we want the most, the things that we need the most, God wants to give us. He wants to give us the fullness of the Spirit. But we have to ask. We have to be a people of prayer. Amen? Let's stand. Let's ask now. If you feel prompted by the Lord to come up and pray, got a microphone, you can lead us in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you have provided all that we need for a life and godliness. We thank you, Lord, that you want to bless us. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. What a glorious treasure. We thank you, Lord, that He's our, our constant guide and companion, our instructor, our sanctifier, our guardian. We thank you for his presence in our, in our individual hearts, in our homes, in our church. But Lord, we want to ask for more. We want more. Anybody want more? Say amen. amen. We want more, Lord. And, and so we're asking, you tell us it's a good gift. We want the good gift. We want you to have your way. We want lives to change. We want souls saved. We don't want to just play church. 
Lord, we don't want just to have a church and just go through our ritual every week. We want to see you, God, fulfilling your will, expanding your kingdom. And we can't do this, but your Holy Spirit can. Dear Lord God, um, I just come to you. I, I thank you um, that we are saved by grace Amen. through faith in Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you have not abandoned us, but you have richly, benevolently given us of your spirit. And mm-hmm. God, um, I for one ask uh, just for forgiveness for not asking you uh, enough. And not asking in faith, believing that you would give um, even more of yourself and more of your spirit to to me, Mm -hmm. to this church, Mm -hmm. to your church universal. So God, I I do ask, I ask um, that you would um, bind back the strong man, that you would bind back the lies of the enemy that Mm -hmm. has just infiltrated your church, mm-hmm. and has said, no, you will be denied. But we won't be denied. Amen. So, so, Lord God, um, pour out your Holy Spirit on your church. Mm-hmm. Help us daily to ask to be filled mm-hmm. with your Holy Spirit so that we could manifest the fruits of your Holy Spirit in our life. Yes, Jesus. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Yes, Jesus. Amen. Father, you are a good, good father. Good in in your discipline of us. Good in the things that you use. Even all those things that are difficult and burdensome, painful. According to your purpose, your way, your will, you use them. And I pray that you would forgive me and forgive us for quenching the Spirit. Instead of love, having hate in our hearts. Instead of peace, only thinking of conflict. Instead of joy living in just misery and sadness and complaining and grumbling. Instead of patience, wanting everything now. Instead of faithfulness, going toward those things that give us pleasure and meaning rather than to you. Instead of kindness, looking only to ourselves and being selfish. Instead of gentleness, being harsh. Instead of self-control, giving in to our flesh. Oh God, use us uh, as a mirror to reflect your glory to the world around us. And use us as as husbands and fathers 
to, to shine that glory and, and to reflect it in every crevice of our homes. Forgive us for the way that we have covered the mirror up at times by the darkness of our own sin, by the hardness of our own hearts. ask, Lord, in that, that sense of I believe, but help me in my unbelief, that you will grant your Holy Spirit to, to, to people undeserving, to, to me undeserving, to, to stand before your throne. I can't imagine standing before such a throne. I can only imagine just collapsing. But I can stand not by my own righteousness, because I have none, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it is on his merit. And it is for my good and for your glory that I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill me, mm -hmm. to fill us. God, um, thank you for all of um, the many trials that... Um, my wife and I have faced over the last um, couple of years, and our church has faced, um, you are good, and you bring good things um, from those. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit um, to fill us as a church, Lord, that you would enable us to speak boldly, to share the gospel boldly with um, people we know, with our family, with those we don't know, and we just ask um, for your mercy and that you would save them. Yeah, God, um, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us and help us to love one another. Um, to respond with love when uh, we don't get love from people. Lord, to um, be willing to go and um, die for someone else and lay our lives down for them. Um, God, it is not natural. It is only by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would um, fill us with your Spirit, that we would be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And God, um, we ask that you would fill us with the Spirit and convict us of sin. Lord, that we would turn away from it and see um, that you are so much better. Mm -hmm. Lord, uh, we ask this now in the name of your Son. Lord, your word says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, you can... Soften a very hardened heart, Lord. You can soften a heart here today, Lord, that might be hardened towards you. You can save. God, you can heal the brokenhearted. God, you can restore and rebuild relationships, Lord. There is absolutely nothing impossible for you. Amen. And God, help us in our unbelief mm -hmm. to believe in the almighty power that you have yes, through the Holy Spirit. Yes, in Jesus' name I pray. <clears throat> Amen. Father, we all agree with those prayers. We thank you that there is nothing too difficult for you, nothing too difficult for your Holy Spirit to accomplish in us or through us. No sin is too great, 
No conflict is too great. No, there's no mountain that, that cannot be moved by you. Lord, we do pray in faith, believing, knowing you are a good, good Father. And I pray, Lord, as we close now, if there's anyone here that came in and not knowing Jesus Christ or, or not knowing the gospel, that they would understand that you are such a good God, that you provided a provision for them, a, a, a payment for their sin through your son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he was dying as a sacrifice for sin and sinners. And you were willing and are willing to accept his death in their place on, on, on their behalf so that they do not have to suffer the penalty for their sins. But they must believe in Jesus. They must respond to your invitation when you said, come unto me, all you the labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would grant them the understanding, that you would enable them to hear and believe the gospel, the good news that you love them. And they may come now into a relationship with you. And Lord, for your church, I pray that we would allow this message from your word to bear much fruit in our lives. We ask it for your glory, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, Wednesday night, prayer meeting, 7 o'clock. Come and pray with me.